Today's Transfiguration Sunday. This is a day, this is the final, final Sunday in our series, Encountering Jesus Together. And we're gonna talk about Jesus only. And I wanna talk about this morning, we're gonna look at this text and see that there are a lot of things that were competing for the disciples' attention on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. But Jesus only is what he wanted them to see. And I hope today that Jesus only, when you walk out of here, will be your aim and your focus. So let's read that scripture. Mark chapter nine is a scripture. Let's hear this. This is the word of God. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. It literally means like there's a launderer and more white than any launderer could possibly have made the clothes now check this out. And there appeared them before them Mo, Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now some of you don't know the Bible. You're like, well, just these other guys showed up. No, these are dead guys, okay? <laughs> Elijah's like been dead for about 700 years at this point, and, and Moses about a, maybe 1,000 years, like has gone by, and, and they're on the mountain talking with Jesus. And rightly so, Peter, James, and John get a little spooked a little freaked out. And Peter does this thing like a giddy teenager seeing their idol for the first time. He's like, he doesn't even know what to say. He's like, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. So let, maybe let's build something. Let's build like shelters or booths and we'll just like keep this party going for a while. Let's just keep this going. Me, you, and James and John and Peter and Elijah and anyone else you wanna invite, they'd be welcome to. We'll build shelters for them as well. That's not what the Bible says, but it, so he didn't even know what to say, the Bible says, because he was so frightened. And then, then the shoe really drops, okay? Then a cloud appeared. And this cloud is not like any just cloud. This is the Shekinah glory of God cloud. When this cloud showed up in the Old Testament, like boom, things are about to start happening. And people tended to get scared. So the cloud shows up and it covers them and it says it overshadows them in one version. And a voice came from the cloud. Now listen to the voice because the same thing that said back in the baptism, when we talk about Jesus' baptism, same voice, same message, listen to it. This is my son, whom I love. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And Matthew records, Mark doesn't record, but Matthew records that the disciples are so terrified, they fall down on their faces, and they're terrified. And I love what Matthew does. He says, Jesus went over, to the disciples, he came to them and touched them, and he said, don't be afraid. And then the text ends with this beautiful line, this beautiful line, and when they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus only. They saw Jesus only. So God, we wanna see Jesus only today. Show us Jesus only. In the church, you say it, receive it, say amen. Amen. Amen, amen. please be seated. So Charles Spurgeon, that great 19th century Baptist preacher, wrote a sermon called Jesus Only. If you were to go read it, you'd say like he ripped off Charles Spurgeon's sermon, and I did. Okay, not verbatim, 
Because if you read those old sermons, you'll be like, wow, there's so much in those old sermons. But the gist of what Spurgeon said, I think, is right on. There are a lot of things competing for your attention in this world, and God wants you to see Jesus only. And on the mountain, on the mountain, there were a lot of things competing for the disciples' attention. Now check this out. These competing visions, there's four of them, I think, that are competing. They'll, they'll, they'll only serve to distract us. The disciples could have first been left in that experience only seeing Moses, Moses only. Moses represents the law, the era of the law. He, he was the one that God used to give the law. Paul says this, um, talking about the, the, the law sets this high bar for human behavior. It's a high ethical bar of holiness. And Paul says in Romans chapter three, listen to what it says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced right? Silence in the whole world accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Moses only for the disciples, if that's all they were left seeing, would have meant the continuation of God's law. And there would have been expectations of like fastidious rule keeping. Their mouths would have been silenced before the lawgiver Right? The, the law, St. Augustine, an old church father, says this. He says, the law commands rather than helps. It doesn't help you. The law just commands. It literally, Augustine said, it, it points out a disease without actually healing it. That's what the law does for us. And some Christians today persist in seeing Moses only. Because, because our, our religion becomes this, this game of rules with points and with penalties. And you're either measuring up, in which case you feel prideful and self-righteous as a Christian because you're measuring up to the law, or you can't possibly keep the law, and therefore you're constantly living in despair and fear of judgment. Now I'm gonna get in trouble for this illustration, but I'm gonna use it anyways. Okay, I, years ago I met a, a new grandmother who told me that her son and his girlfriend had just had a baby. And I did the very natural human thing which you would say to them, which was like, congratulations, that's so exciting. How awesome is that? And she proceeded in this really nasty tone to begin to tell me how she began to scold her son for the fact that he and, he and his girlfriend weren't married and they had a baby outside of marriage. Now listen, please don't hear me. There's an appropriate time to talk about like having babies within marriage and all that. Okay, got it, everybody got that? Disclaimer done, right? But the spirit, the spirit of scolding, like it's just a, like a, there's points and there's penalties. And some people persist in seeing Moses only. They could have been left secondly seeing Elijah only. Elijah represents that era of God's prophets. The, uh, the prophets are prosecutors of the law. They pronounce blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. But if the disciples had been left seeing Elijah only, there would have been a threat of ongoing judgment for them. There are a couple of great stories, Elijah stories. You can read them in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And, and there these stories, the, the prophets of Baal had seduced Israel and they were following Baal. And there's a showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal where they offer sacrifices and whichever one like calls down fire from heaven is the one that's the true God. Well, Elijah wins that, the prophets of Baal lose and they take, they take their swords and they slaughter the prophets of Baal. 
In another story, King Ahaziah goes to consult Baal and, and Elijah, Elijah challenges him. And, and King Isaiah sends companies of men to go to take Elijah by force and bring them to him. And these two companies of 50 soldiers come before Elijah as he's sitting up on a mountain. And Elijah calls down fire and consumes those men in this kind of righteous judgment. Elijah represents a threat of ongoing judgment. And some Christians still persist in seeing Elijah only. 1965, in the Philippines, there was an attempted coup of the government by communists in Philistines. Well, the communists lost, and, and the people in these villages had to decide what to do with the communists in their, in their villages. And a local church, a Christian church, the session of elders came together and they began debating about what to do with these communists. And they took Jesus' text, which says, love your enemies, and they said, we're going to take that and then we're going to weigh that against an old prophetic text, which you've heard this one, slay the Amalekites. If you know, you'll know that one. And they, and they debated, the church debated, and which one do you think won? Jesus or, the, or slay the Amalekites? Slay the Amalekites won and they killed all the communists in their village because some Christians persist in seeing Elijah only. Now listen, I am hearing stories today of modern pastors in America who are preaching on the Sermon on the Mount and Christians who are really into politics are coming to the pastors and saying, that's too weak, we're not gonna follow that. And I'm just gonna tell you up front, like, sorry, like, you're, if, if, if that's, anybody ever comes to me and says that, the Sermon on the Mount is too weak, probably not the church for you, okay? Because Jesus is gonna win here. People say, remember the hurricane in New Orleans? People said, well, that's God was showing judgment on, on New Orleans. People persist in seeing Elijah only. When I moved into the city years ago, people with these racist tirades would, would call down. They would literally say in the comment section of the local papers would say that they hoped that sections of the city and neighborhoods would be firebombed. People persist in seeing judgment and condemnation on their enemies only. I, I've had through the years people tell me, Pastor, I want you to preach against the godless American culture. And I thought, good heavens. Like, how about we talk about your sins and mine? Because there's enough content right there for us to have sermons for a little while, don't you think? Some persist in seeing Elijah only. And on the mountain, they weren't left with Elijah only. Now, there's two things real quickly they could have also seen. They could have been left beholding the experience. And what a glorious experience it was to see Moses and Elijah and Jesus transfigured. Peter wants to prolong that experience. He wants to just keep it going. And he could have been chasing spiritual experiences. Blaise Pascal in the 16th century was a scientist, a mathematician. And when Pascal died in his coat, they discovered that he had sewn a note in the, in the pocket of his, of his coat. He had sewed it in there, and it was about an experience that he had. Listen to what Pascal experienced. And it was one of these ravishing experiences. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight, fire. You ever had that happen? just pure fire, the fire of God, just presence, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. I remember years ago, 
attending a, a, a music conference and they had an altar experience. And I remember being so moved and I just remember like staying at the altar, just hoping that that whatever was happening right there in that moment would endure. But we know that those experiences don't always endure. And church, listen, we got, we got a lot of spiritual thrill seekers in the church today who want spiritual experiences like as your steady diet. And modern Christians today will leave churches if the music doesn't produce, if the preaching is not quite there, if the programs aren't quite there, because the normal Christian life is kind of dull and boring for them. Now, maybe I shouldn't have said this to my wife as I was talking through this sermon with her, but I said, you know, imagine trying to sustain a relationship just on butterfly feelings, right? I know for Gail, that's true all the time, butterfly feelings for me. <laughs> I mean, come on. But anyone who's been in a relationship a long time knows that you can't sustain just on butterflies. There's a little, little book written by John Cotter, who's a business expert, called um, Our Iceberg is Melting. It's a cute story about a colony of penguins and their icebergs melting, but they don't believe it. But a couple people do, they see it, they know it, and they send out a scout team to go figure out where they're gonna live next while everybody else continues to do what they're, what they're doing. It's a great tale of change. Living Word Community Church, our iceberg is melting. Our iceberg is melting. If we think, and, and the experiences we've been having recently have been great, haven't they? We've enjoyed the experiences, and it's great. But listen, you can't disciple a church of thousands of people on spiritual experiences. We've got to do something different. And that's why our team is already beginning to look at how are we going to disciple and build a program that will help you grow in maturity in your faith? Because this, in some respects, what we call the stage here is easy. We can keep trying to produce experiences, but folks, like this is not enough. It will not be enough for you to grow in your faith. But they weren't left, they weren't left with the experience only. Now here's the last thing they could have been left seeing, just the glory cloud, the terror of the glory cloud. Notice what I said, the terror, because ever since the garden, the unmediated presence of God has been a dangerous place for sinners to stand. It's not been a safe place. They would have been left beholding the one that is, the scripture says, is a consuming fire. And they would have been left in their, in their sin without a mediator present for them. Like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw this beautiful vision of God. And he, says, he, saw, he saw the Lord seated high in the train of his robe filled the temple. And there are beasts crying out, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah's reaction is to fall on his face and say, woe is me. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he has to be cleansed before he can even continue in that experience. They would have been left with a glory cloud and they would have been left in terror. Now what Matthew says, Matthew's version of this story, is that at that moment when they saw the glory cloud, they fell down on their face and they were terrified, as, as humans probably should be. The Bible says in the Old Testament that no one will see God and live. And the, Matthew says that Jesus went over to them and touched them. And he said this, don't be afraid. And they looked up and they saw Jesus only. They looked up. Moses was gone. Elijah was gone. The experience was over. The glory cloud was gone. After the glory cloud had said, 
This is my son. Listen to him. They looked up and they saw Jesus only. On Transfiguration Sunday, at the end of encountering Jesus together, there's only one vision for you, Christian, Jesus only. Church, living word, there's only one vision for us as a church, Jesus only. You see, they weren't left seeing Moses. They left seeing Jesus only. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, and catch this, he canceled the written code. That's Moses' code. He canceled it with its regulation that was nailed against us and stood opposed to us, and he took it away and he nailed it to the cross. Listen, when you're, when you're knowledgeable, when you know you're aware of your sin, who are you left seeing? Some of you are left seeing Moses still. Judgment. But Paul says he took that code and he put it on the cross and he nailed your sins there. So when you sin this week, and you will, I'm not encouraging you to, by the way, but when you do and when I do, don't be left seeing Moses only. Look at Jesus only and see your sins nailed to the cross of Jesus. Listen to what Spurgeon says this. He says, you never read the scriptures or hear the gospel without feeling condemned. You know your duty. You confess how short you've fallen for, uh, of it. And therefore, you abide under conscious condemnation and you will not come to him who is the propitiation for your sins. Run to Jesus, not Moses. They weren't left seeing Elijah. They were left seeing Jesus only. Elijah climbed a mountain and righteously called down fire on God's enemies. Jesus Christ climbed Mount Calvary, and instead of demanding the blood of a godless culture, he offered his own. Instead of calling down fire, he called down fire on himself and took the sins of the world on himself. He is the God, people, listen, who is crying out, Father, forgive them as he's being killed on the cross. He is the friend of somebody who came here today who feels pretty unworthy because you really know you're a sinner. He's your friend. He's a friend of tax collectors. He's a friend of, of people who sell their bodies for sex. Those are prostitutes. He's a friend of prostitutes and sinners. He is the prodigal's father who's waiting at the end of the lane, running to grab his son when he's coming home and shower him with kisses. You see, Moses and Elijah have to go away. Spurgeon says this, once the sun is risen, you don't need candles anymore. You get that? You get that? Well, there's, once, once the sun is risen, why would you want a candle? Right? There's a story in Luke 24, after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's walking along. He surprises some disciples. They don't know it's him. He's risen. It's on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And it says this, that Jesus took the scripture and he began with Moses, the law. And he started talking through Moses and he talked through the prophets. And he even says later on, that he, he talked through the Psalms. And you know what it says that Jesus did as a, as a scholar with the text? He pointed out that all of it was about him. All pointing to him. On the mountain, Luke records, on the mountain, Moses and Elijah, the only place where we know what they're actually talking about, Luke records. It says that they were discussing his exodus from Jerusalem. That's the literal word. It's, they're discussing his imminent departure. Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus talking about his death. 
Moses and Elijah are there seeing the one that they had talked about, the one that was foreshadowed in their teaching. They're there with Jesus and they're talking with him about his death. Why would you choose a candle when the sun is risen? Moses and Elijah, no more. But they weren't left with the fading experience only. Listen to what Spurgeon says. And this quote, I mean, this really is. You're gonna, if somebody's keeping a record of this, you'll know, like I say a lot of favorite things. This might be one of my like, favorite quotes of all time. Spurgeon says, don't laugh at me. How dare you? I'm joking. I'm joking. Depend, <laughs> depend on it, brethren, that ravishing and exciting experiences and transporting enjoyments, though they may be useful as occasional reflect, refreshments, would not be so good for every day as that quiet but delightful ordinary fellowship with Jesus only, which ought to be the distinguishing mark of all Christian life. This sermon right here, you could probably replay 99% of your Christian life, what I have to say for you right here. Because what Spurgeon's saying right there, like the experiences are nice, but what we really need is ordinary fellowship with Jesus only. You know, we've be, we beheld the glory of Jesus John says, like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He became flesh, He made His dwelling among us. And we've seen His glory. We've seen His glory on the mountain. Can I, can I preach to you just for a second? Can I bring it home just for a second? Let me help you think about how to see Jesus only in all of life. Jesus only every day. Jesus only on Tuesday morning, and Jesus only on Thursday when somebody here gets some really bad news. Jesus only. When you're feeling lonely, when somebody's abandoned you and walked out on you, Jesus only. The friend who will never walk away from you, Jesus only. Teenager, when you're feeling ugly because of acne. You know, my daughter told me a stat this week that said that one in four girls already has planned how they'll commit suicide. Jesus only. Jesus only to hold you and tell you, like, you're beautiful. Guess what? 47-year-old men still get zits. My mom told me they would go away. <laughs> mom, you lied. <laughs> young woman, you are, you're a beautiful young lady that God loves. And there are a lot of people around who love you. Your value, Jesus only. Jesus only. When you're facing peer pressure, and you feel like you're gonna cave, Jesus only. When others say you can't do it, and I heard that a few times as they were talking, was talking about doing this job, people said, you'll never be able to do it. I can do all things through Christ, through Jesus only, who gives me strength. Men, women, when you're stuck in a dead-end career, or college students, when you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life, I have no idea, I feel stuck. Like just Jesus only. Don't you trust that Jesus only will walk with you and show you exactly where you need to go even if you're stuck in a dead-end career? Jesus only. When you're consumed by grief and sadness and emptiness, Jesus only. This is the hard one. If you're barren and you've been trying and it just doesn't look like it's gonna happen, Man, I would love to change the circumstances for you, but the only thing I tell you is Jesus only. Jesus only. When you're anxious, you're worried, you're afraid, whatever it is, Jesus only. An old saint years ago, probably in his 80s, told me some of the best 
advice that stuck with me and hung with me for a long time. I look out over this church and I see some old saints. God bless you, I love you all, and I know God loves you. Young people, you have a lot to learn from these folks. You should spend some time with them because as you're young, you're accumulating assets. You're making money, you're getting degrees, you're getting jobs, you're having kids, you're buying houses, you're buying cars, you're going on vacations, you're accumulating, right? And at some point in your life, as you get older, you start to lose assets. You lose your health. Your driver's license gets taken away. You have to move out of your house and into a facility. Your loved ones, your loved ones start to pass away. What are you gonna be left seeing? Some of you, you godly saints with gray hair, have so much to teach us. Young people, I'll get to know these people because I'll teach you that the only prize that's worth having in this life is Jesus only. It's just Jesus only. And I pray for us as a church as we begin to move forward, sorry about that. As we move forward as a church, that our prize would not be how many people we put in this room, how many experiences we have together, those would be good. But that we will be a church that loves Jesus only. He's our prize. Worship team's gonna come sing, and then we're gonna, this is a beautiful way to think about Jesus only by taking the Lord's Supper today, okay? So let me pray for us and invite the worship team to sing. God, you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. You alone, you alone are worthy of our worship, our love. God, you loved us first. Thank you. And we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus only for us. Make that our diet. Amen.